This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your hosts, Radio Joe Hughes and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode 642, and we're welcome Dr. John Mohausen, and he's the AIHA president, and Larry Sloan, AIHA CEO. We're going to talk about accelerating advancement in industrial hygiene, science, and practice. Looking forward to a great show. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They are the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget, after the show, we have the new Afterthoughts, sponsored by First On Site. Our marquee sponsor is Instascope at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA.org, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, CIRIScience.org, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA.org, the Restoration Industry Association, RestorationIndustry.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, IICRC.org. Healthy Buildings America 2021, HB2021-America.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus, ParticlesPlus.com. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, GrayWolfSensing.com. TSI Inc., TSI.com, Sunbelt Rentals, SunbeltRentals.com, April Air, April, A-I-R-E.com, Healthy Indoors Magazine, HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Don Weeks, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, who was first to identify the Burgess Battery Company as the firm from which former employees purchased certain assets and patents and buildings to form the parent company of April Air. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for today, October 15, 2021, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for the monitoring of the indoor air. Learn how to expand your IEQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's today's IEQ Radio Trivia Question. Name the AIHA member who published Exposure Limits in the Journal of Industrial Medicine and upon whose work OSHA's permissible exposure limits are still based today. Back to you, Joe. Another good one, Cliff. All right. We've got John Mohausen. He's the president of AIHA. He retired in 2018 from 3M, where he worked for 31 years in a variety of global health and safety risk management roles, most recently as the director of corporate safety and industrial hygiene. Also have Larry Sloan, who's stepped into his role at the CEO of AIHA in October 2016. Prior to that, he served as the president and CEO for seven years at the Society of Chemical Manufacturers and Affiliates 
a trade association representing the U.S. specialty chemical industry. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good to have you. Good to be here, Joe. Thank you for having us. Uh, it's great, John. I, I tell you, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. You, you were a, uh, you know, you've been around the world. You've dealt with, you know, uh, health and safety issues worldwide for many years, and now you're at the helm of AIHA. And uh, we're going to talk about accelerating advancement in industrial hygiene science and practice. I'm, I'm curious how your time at uh, a large corporation, multi, you know, uh, many countries you dealt with. How did that lead into interest in accelerating advancement in IH? Well, yeah, great question, Joe. Honestly, my time was magic. We used to always talk about an unusual aligning of the stars during my uh, career there. And, and it's how I know that AIHA and our profession can be successful at, at accelerating our science and accelerating our practice. Uh, we had great people. You know, that, that's the number one key to success is uh, surround yourself with really smart people and, uh, man, ride those coattails. And I was able to do that. We had really smart people willing to try interesting new things, uh, all in the name of better protecting the workers in our um, corporation around the world. Second, second key success factor was we learned how to frame what we were doing in a way that uh, our management, the plant managers, the engineers, the supervisors, could engage in and, and understand so that they participated in what we were doing. Uh, we gained their trust, we held their trust um, moving forward. And then the third critical success factor was that we had very, very strong relationships with the University of Minnesota and with AIHA's Exposure Assessment Strategies Committee so that when we hit uh, roadblocks in terms of, man, the science isn't there, uh, we're having issues with X, Y, or Z. We could, in fact, engage folks um, at the university or engage folks through the uh, Exposure Assessment Strategies Committee to help us find solutions. And man, we, we put in place a very systematic, transparent approach to driving understanding of worker exposure risks and managing them in a consistent way across the country, company and did it in a way that plant managers finally understood what the heck we were doing in industrial hygiene and what their <laughs> role was and how they could engage in helping us protect workers. And, and AIHA in particular is very well positioned to do that exact same thing for our profession. We, we've got uh, people who are dedicated and expert and want to help uh, protect workers in more efficient and effective ways. Uh, we've got connections into resources um, in terms of the, the researchers out there. We've got connections into resources to help us disseminate knowledge um, so that we can really pull all those things together and move our profession forward much more quickly than uh, we've moved forward in the past. You know, young people are looking for a a, a career that has a lot of room for advancement. And, and I'm just wondering, is that something you see in industrial hygiene or what sometimes is referred to as uh, 
occupational environmental health? Oh, man, absolutely. And in fact, there's a huge demand for our expertise right now, and, and that's going to continue into the future. Um, you know, in, in the end, I think all of us want to be doing things that help people. And there is no better way to help people than to prevent bad things from happening in the first place. You know, we, we can put a lot of energy into sort of fixing folks after they've been damaged. But in the end, the, the real effort should be around preventing that damage from occurring in the first place. So my advice to young folks is, look, you, you want to help people. You want to be part of preventing these things from happening. Get involved in occupational environmental health and safety. That, that's the place to be to make a big impact on individuals' lives. I'm wondering, Larry, since COVID over the last year and a half, have you, as AIHA, found more young folks interested in getting into the industrial hygiene world? Absolutely. You know, the pandemic has been a uh, kind of a dark cloud with a silver lining with respect to the awareness of the profession. Uh, from the very beginning months of the pandemic, AIHA stepped up, and I think I talked about this on uh, one of your podcasts last year, all of the COVID guidance that we've developed, including the Back to Work Safely initiative, where we've created 21 different industry sector guidance documents that are written in layperson's terms, aimed at the small business owner. And then there's other guidance documents in indoor air quality and disinfection and cleaning, uh, PPE and other arenas that have gotten wide visibility and referenced in mass media. So it's been a boon to us as a profession and to kind of building upon what John said about generating interest. We've got a variety of campaigns that are aimed at students of all ages, starting in middle school to get them aware that worker health and safety is even a thing to worry about. Interesting. Cliff, you have a follow-up? I, I do actually, John, you know, while you were at 3M, I think a lot of people know 3M for either sandpaper or post-it notes and may know less about their personal protective equipment and, and so on and so forth. So can you tell us a little bit about how 3M became interested in personal protective equipment and, uh, you know, what sort of products did they make? Well, the, the, the company lore was that, uh, and I don't know if this is true or not, the company lore was that uh, researchers in the laboratory were experimenting with uh, blown fiber technology. And uh, we're really kind of looking at better ways to make brassiers. <laughs> and that technology then turned into uh, an approach to making um, single use respirators. And the rest is history around <laughs> our uh, uh, efforts into getting into the health and safety business. It, it was a really, it is, continues to be a really, really interesting company. Uh, a lot of people don't know where 3M, uh, the name comes from. It, it's from Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing. Yeah. So here's this company that, that has mines, you know, real basic extraction industries, and then high technology sorts of things and everything in between. And so uh, I, I was telling Joe earlier that I spent my whole 31 years at 3M in one department and was never bored. There, there were so many fun things to get involved in across the organization. You know, it's, it's, a, it's interesting that both Minnesota and Pittsburgh 
were both, you know, real big in the early days of industrial hygiene. And a lot of it came from the mining and then the steel making. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, in the, in the public health, right. Coming out of particularly in Pennsylvania, some of those early uh, air pollution instances that, that then right, right, schools right. turned into uh, industrial hygiene schools and the, and the programs developed. Well, that kind of leads us into one of the initiatives at AIHA, which is defining the science. And I, I'm wondering if one of you or both of you can talk a little bit about what, what we mean by defining the science and how that kind of ties into accelerating advancement in IH. Well, we, we think of it as um, P to R to P, practitioner to research and back to practice. So a, a continuous improvement loop that seeks to bubble up the voice of the practitioner to understand what it is that practitioners are frustrated about, what kind of barriers they're running into, what kind of gaps they have as they try to implement programs that uh, efficiently and effectively help workers, protect workers' health. So the, the process begins with listening to the voice of the practitioner and understanding what the things are that are hindering them in terms of effective implementation of programs on the shop floor to protect workers. And then uh, applying the expertise from AIHA and ACGIH, the, the Define the, the Science Initiative is a joint activity between two of your sponsors, I see, AIHA and uh, ACGIH. Uh, those organizations have uh, deep expertise that can then vet the um, items that are bubbling up from the practitioners and then prioritize those things and find homes for them among researchers who have the skill sets and the interests and funders who have the money with the interests to actually get that research, uh, research going. So very practitioner oriented activity. Let's understand what issues they're facing. Let's figure out how to engage researchers and funders into getting the research done. And then from there, there there's an even further connection that uh, we ran into a lot uh, at 3M, which was, you know, researchers need access to workplaces to do a lot of this research. They, they need to be out on the shop floor with the workers to understand uh, what the issues are and how to best address them with their research. And so uh, AIHA and ACGIH can then serve as the connectors between the researchers and practitioners who have an interest and access to the right kind of uh, work environments to facilitate that research. Uh, so that's the next step, you know, kind of connecting the researchers back to practitioners who can help get the research done in a practical way. And the final step, of course, is closing the loop and getting the results of the research back into the hands of the practitioners so that we actually make an impact on the shop floor, that, that these ideas get implemented, put in place, and we're better able to protect workers. It's really, really exciting. Um, I'm, I'm so excited about this opportunity for AIJ, ACGH, and for our profession, and, and for the workers that rely on us to protect them. You know, we've, we've done a lot of what we call uh, research to practice and practice to research. I like how you added that practice to research back to practice. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to steal that, Cliff. 
<laughs> that, that continuous feedback right. is really, really important. And, and it's one of the reasons that our associations are so well positioned to do this. We, we have access to all the pieces that need to be brought together to do this in a sustainable and impactful way. You know, Larry, I'm wondering if you could maybe you, you, you speak directly with a lot of the uh, members. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what, what are some of the things they want you to do more research on and so that they can get appropriate information to give to the practitioners in the field? Well, first of all, you know, this whole initiative started just about a year ago, and uh, we've made amazing progress in terms of orchestrating the process and the collaboration. Think about all the different stakeholders that are involved, right, that uh, come together to propose ideas and uh, how we match those ideas against potential funders and potential work sites that are going to be examined. So the whole web submittal process, uh, we firmed up the process and uh, we organized the ideas in terms of whether or not there's going to be uh, a research idea that pertains to the practice of the profession itself in the field, or is it more general and more related to the profession? And so over the last few months, we opened up the portal, and I think it was in May, and we had a beta phase where we invited anybody to submit ideas, and we got a couple dozen ideas already in the hopper, and the ideas range from uh, better understanding and acclimation of uh, qualitative risk assessments to uh, better use of our e-tools. We have a variety of tools that are online to help practitioners with uh, modeling and managing the exposures that they encounter in the workplace. Ideas have been submitted about uh, particle counting in different environments. Yeah. Uh, there have been more general ideas about just updating studies in terms of what's the appetite for occupational health and safety and uh, are there additional research studies that need to be conducted to better understand what is the demand in the future. And all woven through all of this, Joe, is the relationship that we have with NIOSH. And so John and I actually have a call later on this afternoon with NIOSH to go through the first batch of ideas that the advisory group has already evaluated and scored. And uh, we first go to NIOSH to see whether or not any of these ideas map against their strategic priorities. So it's a, it's a true iterative process that involves lots of different stakeholders. Interesting. And John, would you like to add anything to that? No, Eric, uh, Larry summarized it very well. Again, we're, we're sort of in that first phase of that continuous improvement cycle. The, the practitioner th through to the uh, vetting uh, via the associations. Now with our call this afternoon, we'll begin the next step, which is here are some of the ideas. Uh, here's how they've been prioritized. How can NIOSH, as maybe the major funder of uh, occupational environmental health and safety research uh, in the U.S., certainly, um, let's see if we can engage them in some of these uh, research topics. And one and more thing really quickly uh, I just want to get in here is that we had uh, our inaugural virtual brainstorming uh, sessions a couple of weeks ago. It just was incredible. Uh, John, Don Weeks, and a couple others from the advisory group were discussion leaders. We had 140-some-odd participants from AIHA and ACGIH on the line for like two hours each of the two days. And we had breakout groups uh, based on themes. And um, they came up with dozens of ideas that we're now in the process of basically evaluating and simulating all of the output. And some of those uh, discussions will ultimately lead to new ideas that can complement uh, the existing first batch of ideas that we're talking to NIOSH about today. Now, 
this the whole idea of uh, focusing on both science and practice. How, where did, uh, was that something that bubbled up from the membership? <laughs> well, I'm a member. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the end, what we're all interested in is protecting workers and the communities and, and making sure our operations are safe, right? And, and to do that, it, it doesn't matter how much theory you have. It doesn't matter how many textbooks you have uh, sort of available or how many webinars you have that people can take. That stuff is over here. What matters is what's going on on the shop floor. What are practitioners doing in order to make sure that those risks are understood and they're well managed? And so in the end, if you're going to make an impact, you have to be talking to the practitioners about, you know, what's, what barriers, what frustrations, what, what is in the way of them doing the best job they possibly can. And bubble that information up to the researchers so that the researchers understand what it is that the practitioners are facing and that we get some priority around their interests that match the needs of the practitioners. And then from there, getting that stuff out of journals that not enough, you know, I, I don't read them the way I should. Practitioners don't engage in those journals the way that you would hope they would. So how do we get them out of that sort of <laughs> corner over here and onto the shop floor? And, and that's part of that's PR, part of that's education, part of it's marketing, part of it is driving a conversation among the profession about, look, this information is here. We should be putting that in place on the shop floor to protect those workers. So it absolutely has to happen as that P to R to P, that continuous improvement cycle. Or, or would you just be caught in the same place where we are today? It's, you know, it's not like there isn't research taking place today. It's not like there's not education that's happening. It's not like there's not journals that have that uh, research available. It's that the research needs to be focused on the issues that the practitioners are facing and we have to facilitate the uptake of those research results down into the shop for practice of our OEHS professionals. Excuse me. I also think another way that you get this out is to be more involved in um, helping with develop standards of care and, and helping make sure this information gets into the standards of care. Larry, would you, you want to comment on that and how you're doing that? So the whole defining the science initiative that we've been talking about originated uh, during one of our generative board discussions about a year or so ago. And I do want to reiterate the fact that the defining the science is such an important element of what we're doing as an association that it's embedded in our new strategic plan. And John was one of the several members that sat on a task force that worked up our new plan. And it is reflected in our advancement of knowledge. You know, really, when you think about how we're advancing the knowledge and the practice of IH, defining the science is really getting to the root cause. You know, what are the unmet needs that practitioners are wrestling with in the field and what kind of research ideas need to be commissioned and uh, conducted to help elevate that level of knowledge? And so John was talking about basic fundamental research that's needed, as well as the awareness quotient. How do we take existing research and disseminate in a way that the practitioner understands how to apply it? Standard of care is really a, a related but a separate initiative that is also embedded in our strategic plan. 
And this was discussed during the task force conversations earlier in the year. And this is about defining a, I'll call it like a code of practice for the IH practitioner that walks the practitioner through uh, a process in which they need to think above and beyond regulatory compliance. There is the state of practice that's going on today. And then there's the so-called best in class or state of the art, right? And so that gap between state of practice and state of the art is the underlying premise of standard of care. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, these initiatives, you know, a lot of associations, they have uh, a new president comes in, he's got an initiative, uh, or, you know, they have a, a, you know, a powwow with all the top folks and you put up defining the science in there. But how do you ensure these continue when the next regime comes in? Well, I'll start by saying that, you know, John is a very inspirational leader uh, and he follows a series of inspirational leaders that I've had the pleasure of working under. But the fact that these initiatives, both the defining the science and the standard of care and others, they're baked into our strategic plan. And one of the things, Joe, that we're doing this year with a new plan is we're starting to broadly communicate the plan to our volunteer groups, our technical committees, our special interest groups, our local sections. We are broadcasting the plan all over the enterprise to our various stakeholders to make sure that folks understand what is the plan. A lot of people don't even know that we have a strategic plan. And more importantly, how can they help support and advance the plan? So this isn't a John or an AIJ president idea. This is baked in or embedded in our strategic plan that goes through a three-year cycle. I see. And and John, would you, are there other components of that strategic plan you'd like to talk to us about? Um, Well, the the strategic plan uh, is, is wonderful. It did uh, some lovely things It brought in uh, a focus on diversity. It brought in a focus on the fact that uh, occupational environmental health and safety professionals uh, are not just about protecting workers, Uh, Our work protects operations and protects Mm -hmm. businesses as well. So that was explicitly brought in. So a lot of uh, really great new activities and um, sort of vision were put in place for the uh, association that that I'm really, really excited about. Sort of building on what Larry said, I think the strategic plan is the first step, right? Right. Uh, The next step is kind of building the capability into the organization. And, um, you you know, Larry has a wonderful team at AIHA. They are absolutely first class at running an association. Uh, So I'm convinced the association is well positioned to do this. It's going to take a little bit of a shift, though, because uh, what we're driving is behavior change among our profession, among our members and others. And that's different than providing education. Uh, In the end, this is about performance and implementation. It's not about education. It's about, did you in fact take what you learned and put it in place out on the shop floor? And and that's gonna take a a shift from our association uh, in the way that we think, uh, in terms of driving it down as close as we can to the shop floor and the impact on the workers. And I'm convinced that uh, the AIHA staff and members are uh, well positioned to do that. 
Yeah, I, I think so as well, Joe. I think that, again, the way it's integrated into the strategic plan and the fact that we've got such a, uh, a robust group of volunteers that it's really advancing both the defining the science and this standard of care initiative, um, I think that's going to help to kind of keep the momentum going. And I do have a truly a first-class staff. You know, we now have a CIH on staff, Michelle Twilley, uh, formerly served on our board of directors, and she's helping to drive a lot of these more technical initiatives. And my staff is hearing and understanding the plan, and they're sitting in on the board meetings now and listening to the conversation uh, that John and the others are having, and they're getting excited about new things that they never heard about before. And that's all embedded in our communications plan to our, again, our committees and our other stakeholders to get them excited as well about some of these new initiatives. I want to mention one more quick thing about the plan and some of the new initiatives that's kind of related to what you're talking about here. And that's something called grand challenges. And Don Weeks, I, I think he's in the room and he, he just poked me saying, don't forget to mention grand challenges. So let me just make a quick comment about grand challenges and say that this is yet another initiative that's kind of related to defining the science and standard of care. But this is about AIJ playing a seminal role in addressing one of the big audacious challenges that faces all of humanity. You know, things like, you know, curing world hunger, you know, something along the lines of that kind of a statement that's baked into, say, the United Nations sustainability goals. So that's a whole nother initiative that we're working on on the sidelines, along with all these other pieces. Oh, Larry, how do you go ahead, John? I was just going to add that that in the end, people like to help other people. And so that's why I'm convinced that the, the excellent staff at AIHA and the members will get behind these initiatives, because in the end, it drives what they're doing closer to making an impact on individuals' lives. And, and I think that's a really worthy reason to get up and come to work every day. Uh, people, people are interested in a lot of things, but if you can add that dimension of making a difference in uh, individuals' lives, people get energized by it. I'm curious, before we go to halftime, I just want to go back to Larry real quick. Larry, how do you, um, you know, you've got the initiative going, and how do you evaluate whether or not it's been successful? Well, it depends upon what the initiative is. We have a series of uh, key performance indicators, right, or metrics. And so each of the uh, five domains within our strategic plan, we've been talking about advancement of knowledge, and the other one that we're talking about Uh, is integrity of professional practice. Those are two of the five. But we have a series of quantitative metrics that we measure, and then we report out and discuss progress against those metrics at each of our board meetings. But above and beyond just the numbers, you know, you get a sense, uh, Joe, in terms of how an initiative is is proceeding and how things are percolating along. Uh, There's a qualitative assessment that we also evaluate against the plan, where we look at the various strategy statements that are baked into the plan and we take measured stops throughout the year to make sure that we're making progress. So like, for example, there's so many moving pieces at any given time. This is a very complex organization, but that's what keeps it interesting and fun. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you look at the plan and you look at the various domains and then the strategies that support those five domains, throughout the year, we have very engaged conversations, not only with staff, but then we bring those conversations to the board. And so, for example, at our upcoming board meeting, we're going to talk about what's been happening with defining the science. And we're also going to talk about what's happening with standard of care. 
So there are opportunities to pause and reflect throughout the year. And oftentimes we get insights and perspectives from the board to help us further accelerate progress or to give us ideas on how we might want to pivot. You know, this is all new ground for us as staff. And so we work very collaboratively with the board. And that's one of the greatest things about running the organization is the true partnership between the board and staff. We nudge them, they nudge us, and it's a part, it's a dance, if you will. So that's what makes it fun. <laughs> we have sharp elbows. <laughs> I was going to add that baked into the plan actually is a measurement uh, yeah. technique. So baked into the plan is a commitment to go out and assess the state of the art, the state of practice, and to look at that gap and put in place continuous improvement activities. So, so over time, as um, this, these initiatives progress, we should see a closing of the gap between the state of the practice and the state of the art. And so that's baked into the strategic plan, a, a commitment to measure those two things, to put in place plans to close the gap. And then, of course, when you go back and measure it later, you hope and, and that if you were successful, that gap will have closed. All right. We're going to stop and thank our sponsors. We'll be back with the second half of our interview. We've got John Mahalson and Larry Sloan from AIHA. And uh, we'll be back in 90 seconds. Our marquee sponsor, Instascope. More jobs done faster with the future of IAQ assessment technology. Unlimited samples, instant results, and cloud-based data at instascope.co. Our association sponsors are AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World, AIHA.org, ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science, ACGIH.org, The Cleaning Industry Research Institute, See More Deeply Through Science and Research, CIRI science.org the indoor air quality association iaqa.org the restoration industry association the granddaddy of the restoration industry restorationindustry.org the iicrc a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry iicrc.org healthy buildings america Honolulu, Hawaii, January 18 through 20, 2022. HB2021-America.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. Free shipping, great pricing, same-day results with no rush fee. AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus. Feature-rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us. Particles Plus. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, over 20 years manufacturing accurate, reliable IAQ instrumentation for portable, short-term, and continuous monitoring. GrayWolfSensing.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations. TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, availability, reliability, and ease. For all your IAQ and restoration needs at 
sunbeltrentals.com. April Air, healthy air, healthy home, April, A-I-R-E.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, healthyindoors.com. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview. I lost my uh, my screen here, so we're going to turn it over to the Z-Man for just a minute, and he's going to cover any chat questions. Okay, Joe, thanks. Uh, we do have one. Okay, the question is uh, for Dr. Mohausen, uh, regarding disposable and reusable respirators and what have been the obstacles to developing them that for real-world use are more comfortable for extended use by workers and effective uh, in the real world, fit given uh, based on body and face sizes, shapes, etc. In his opinion, uh, the pandemic clearly demonstrates a high priority need for vast improvement and innovation for high-level uh, filtration. Before you, you answer it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 71 in a couple of weeks, and I grew up in the pest control industry, so I was wearing respiratory protection uh, made by mine safety equipment when I was a kid, and it was absolutely horrible. So, so you know, so you know, getting away from rubber and, and getting into the, the the new materials are just an absolute world of difference uh, than they used to be. But I think he'd like to know what's what's coming down the pike as well. Hey, we have a we have a common experience, Cliff. I was a licensed journeyman pest control operation operator in Minnesota when okay. I was going to college. Cool. Um, I can't answer that question. I, I my whole experience at 3M was around uh, our the safety and health of our operations, not around gotcha. respiratory protection gotcha. development. So okay. I, I'm I can't answer it. I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. Fair enough. Well, let's talk a little bit about this. How does um, the globalization of you know occupational, environmental health, and safety? How has that kind of changed things for both large corporations, John, and for AIHA, Larry? Let's start with you, John. Oh man, that's win-win-win, Joe. Um, you know, r- responsible global corporations. Uh, are already doing the things that need to be done to understand and manage uh, risks to employees, risks to the operations, risks to the communities in which we do business. And, and in fact, export a lot of expertise and knowledge into the places where we do business. You know, it, 3M, I don't know if they still have it, but uh, we had a, a scholarship program that uh, trained people to prepare for the CIH exam. And as a result of that, we probably put more CIHs out into the world in, in corners of the country that didn't have strong uh, training programs than, than any other company. I mean, it, the, the responsible global companies are uh, exporting knowledge and expertise so that people who are um, engaged in those factories whether from a plant manager point of view or from a health and safety professional point of view, uh, are learning from uh, those expectations. And so as health and safety, um, sort of the infrastructure and the knowledge and the expectations in a particular country progress, they're really coming up to meet 
what the responsible global companies are already doing and leveling the playing field among competitors so that for a, a global company that's putting in place these um, not regulatory demanded uh, controls and processes to compete with companies that don't have to spend yeah. that kind of money is a disadvantage. And so as the local infrastructure and the local expectations increase, it levels the playing field and, and uh, among competitors in that particular region of the world. Larry, do you want to comment on that? Well, I'll just come at it from a more macro sense. Uh, there are, as you know, a lot of uh, nonprofit uh, bodies, if you will, out there that are focused on international affairs. And so, for example, AIHA is a member of the federation called IOHA. And IOHA is a federation of about 40 country associations all around the world. So we engage in dialogue with the heads of these other associations through our delegate, uh, Dr. Tom Fuller, who is finishing up his term as president of the board of IOHA. And one thing that I'll mention, actually, I sent something to John about this earlier today. IOHA is finally starting to better engage with the International Labor Organization, ILO. And that is a really important uh, step in making sure that the world of occupational health and safety is better known and better understood in the ILO circles. ILO has not really given us a lot of um, face time, if you will. They haven't really acknowledged the, the fact that we are a, a profession. And so now they're starting to conduct research studies to help better understand the uh, qualification framework and the competencies that are required to practice occupational health and safety. So there's IOHA, there's also Workplace Health Without Borders, there's also OHTA, which is basically a provider of online uh, and in-person education designed specifically for developing economies. So speaking to what John is referring to, these countries that don't have the uh, infrastructure and the protocols in place the way we do in the developed economy, the OHTA tools, the modules uh, help to support the practitioners in these parts of the world. So it really does take a village and AIHA is kind of like the I won't say we're the glue, but, you know, we interface and we have representatives that serve on all these different third parties. And of course, we also have a very robust international affairs committee uh, that represents people that serve on these other third party organizations, boards and constituencies. So, you know, it's just an amazing network of organizations that are trying to do good around the world. Hey, Joe, if I might, could you both, could you both comment uh, on China? And uh, their, their role in this, you know, um, uh, you know, it, it seems that, um, you know, that they're not, not uh, you know, living up to the same uh, standards that, you know, many American companies are. I, I can't comment on that, uh, Cliff. I'm sorry. You know, my experience in China was uh, around our facilities. And, Understood. Uh, Understood. I, I would say our biggest challenge was holding on to the people that we trained. We, we, we would train someone, we'd get them certified, and then they'd be hired away. So Understood. there clearly was a demand for expertise, but China is a really, really big place, right? And, and huge variability in how they approach health and safety, I'm sure. What about theft of intellectual property? Anything about that? Or yeah, 
it's a concern. <laughs> the, it, it is the, a concern. Yeah, the, the com companies have to be very, very careful about the types of operations and IP that they put into uh, China. You know, just, just to follow up, Cliff, um, from the AIJ perspective, we actually used to have an office in China, and it was managed by an association management company that, that, uh, that basically we, we hired. Mm -hmm. And for several years, this goes back before my time, but for several years, we had meetings in the region. Uh, it was uh, unfortunately not a profitable venture, but we didn't expect to really make any money. No, I understand. But we really didn't make as much progress, you know, just qualitatively in terms of philosophical kind of moving the needle on adoption of best practices and uh, greater uh, recognition of the importance of workplace health and safety uh, in mainland China. I don't really think we came away with a great sense that we were making a lot of progress. And unfortunately, with respect to all the bodies that I mentioned uh, earlier, including IOHA, mainland China does not have a representative that serves on the board of IOHA. So it's, it's a challenge for us to penetrate that, uh, that, uh, that country. Yeah. Larry or, or John, either one, um, what countries are, I mean, I, obviously I would think, you know, Australia and maybe uh, Great Britain and so on are very involved with AIHA, but I'm wondering if there's some countries that we'd be a little surprised at how involved they are with your organization. Well, I, th I think there are some Latin American countries mm -hmm. that people would be surprised. Larry is a little more familiar with the details there. I've had a number of opportunities to engage with the Brazilian uh, mm -hmm. Occupational Hygiene uh, Association. They're, they're keenly interested in advancing and partnering. Larry, I'll let you comment on some of the other organizations that you've been involved in. Yeah, well, partly because of the pandemic and all of the COVID guidance that we've developed, we decided to go ahead and fund the translation of all of the back to work safely and another dozen documents into Spanish. And that gave us an opportunity to further engage with the various associations uh, that reside in the Americas. Uh, so to John's point, of course, Brazil speaks Portuguese, but a lot of them speak Spanish. So they've been utilizing these translated materials. We have good relations with the Colombian associations, uh, the Peruvian association, the Argentinian association, and um, also the Guatemalan association. So the pandemic has brought a lot of these societies in the Americas closer together. And those folks have representatives that serve and sit on our International Affairs Committee. And several of these associations now have relationships with AIHA, where all of their members are now members of AIHA through a partnership arrangement. They are considered an organizational member to AIHA. So all of their members now receive the same benefits that the traditional AIHA members. The other one I'll mention is the CIHA, CIHA, which is the Indian Association. And we have mm. a very close partnership with them. We participate in their annual meeting each year with a keynote address, typically by the AIHA president, as well as a technical presentation. It's, it's becoming, you know, a smaller and smaller world. And, and we've got to, uh, got to keep working with these folks. Let me ask this. I, offline, we had talked a little bit about kind of, I don't know if it's called branding or what it is, but, you know, we talk about occupational environmental health and safety, and then we talk about industrial hygiene. Larry, you, you kind of helped me understand that a little better online, you know, through a chat. I wonder if you could tell our listeners a little bit about the thoughts you all have on, on the kind of the branding of what it is your people do. 
So several years ago, we began to conduct extensive research and we held focus groups to help us figure out why, you know, and how we could better articulate our value to not only to society, but also to get students excited about careers in IH. And one of the things that um, came out of it was the fact that the term industrial and hygiene just don't resonate with the younger generations. So that began a, a pretty exhaustive study using a third-party brand consultant uh, based in Chicago to help us pivot our approach so that now when we speak to external audiences, downstream audiences, whether it's students or business leaders in the variety of sectors that we serve, we're now pivoting to the term occupational and environmental health and safety. It sounds like a mouthful, but those words really resonate much more favorably with people that don't really understand what it is that an IH does. Now, internally, we still use the term industrial hygiene. We're still known as the American Industrial Hygiene Association. None of that has changed. It's more about the branding of the profession and how we communicate who we are and what we do to external audiences. And is that something you did in conjunction with other organizations like ACGIH or was that AIHA specific? Well, you know, we enjoy common members between the two organizations. And so there were folks that were members of ACGIH that sat in on these focus groups and they were consulted with. We did a lot of surveys across the broader EHS environment. So we reached out to folks in the EHS space and the safety space. And, you know, when you look at ASSP and um, other organizations, you know, they're now starting to pick up on, again, occupational health and safety. We're extending it to occupational and environmental health and safety. So it's become a shared mantra across a variety of societies. And John, you, you obviously worked in a place where this is an important topic. I mean, you've got people all over the world. How, did, how do you see this topic? Uh, internally, it, it didn't make a big difference. As I said earlier, we, we were pretty successful at framing things uh, in a way that um, people could engage in. And so they understood what um, industrial hygiene was, they understood process safety, they understood safety, uh, and they understood the environmental kinds of concerns. But I think the opportunity is external facing. When, when you're trying to explain to your mother-in-law what the heck an industrial hygienist is, it, it can get bogged down pretty fast. Yeah. But if you talk in terms of somebody who's interested in making sure that the environment and the workplace doesn't impact the health or safety of uh, the employees in that workplace, they get that. And so the shift to me is an important shift from an ex external point of view to talking with stakeholders so that they more quickly understand who, you know, who we are and what we do. And then you can get to the meat of the matter, which is you know, talking to them about how they improve those workplaces for um, people that are in uh, working there. Looks like we uh, we got somebody's attention with that one. I'll have to come back for that back to that uh, chat in a moment. John, let's go to the roundup. The roundup is brought to you by April Air, providing healthy humidity, ventilation, and air purity solutions for new and existing homes. April Air, healthy air, healthy home at aprilaire.com. All right, we're back. Let's uh, let me th throw out another branding thing real quick here. I know we didn't talk about this before, but I'm curious if there's discussions. 
you're the American Industrial Hygiene Association. Does that turn off people in other countries? I, I don't think so at all. Again, we're really going more with the acronym these days. But the fact of the matter is uh, we are American based. You know, the vast majority of our members are based here in the States. And I think the fact that we are the American Industrial Hygiene Association uh, helps other associations understand we're not trying to conquer the world. We're trying to be partners with these other national country associations. And, you know, there are a lot of organizations out there and other professions that are really trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't think there's necessarily merit and value in just becoming bigger for the sake of being bigger. We have to get better at what we do through partnerships and leveraging best practices across the world in partnership with these other organizations. That's my take on it. John, I'm wondering how you feel. You work with people all over the world. Uh, do they like the fact that it's the American, uh, you know, AIHA as opposed to, you know, some other name? You know, I, I, I never had a conversation with anybody about the name. What they like is the resource and expertise that mm -hmm. AIHA makes available to advance the profession. And so my conversations were really around uh, how, how can people who are outside of the Americas or actually outside of the US, how can they um, engage with uh, the resources that AIHA has? You know, how, how can they help to translate it into Portuguese, for example, or how can mm -hmm. they uh, take a tool and um, enable sort of a sustainable approach to that tool so that they've got capability in their country to train people on the tool, uh, use the tool, answer questions about the tool, et cetera, et cetera. So the conversations I've had, America wasn't a sticking point. The, and part of that might've been that AIHA has so many resources available for people to use that, that you know, they just sort of skip right through the name. Yeah, I think that's uh, right. Before we wrap up here, I want to make sure, Larry, both of you, Larry and John, is there anything else you wanted to, you know, uh, add about accelerating advancement in industrial hygiene, any future plans, et cetera? Uh, nothing to add to, to what we've already talked about, Joe, just to say that this is all about the workers. This is about uh, improving the shop floor practices of occupational environmental health and safety in a way that we become more effective at identifying the risks, more consistent in managing those risks, uh, and better at talking to the partners that we need to have in order to be successful at that. And, and so if, you, if we keep focused on the actual implementation of best practices out in the workplaces, we'll be successful at this. We, we can't sort of end it at, well, we created a notebook or we created a webinar, or we created the stuff that's over on the shelf somewhere. We have to be always driving towards what's being implemented, what's happening on the shop floor, how are we helping improve the health and safety of employees, the health and safety of operations, the health and safety of the communities in which we do business. And that's that feedback loop you were talking about. Absolutely. To practice to research, to pra practice to research, back to practice. I, I like that. Well, all right, Larry, anything you'd like to add? No, I think there just again, it's, it's all about the message and how we get that message out there. And that's just an ongoing challenge for any 
organization. It's the way in which you position and you package the information so that it's digestible and readily practical to AIHA to its members. And that's the challenge, but that's also the fun part of, of, of running the association is taking complex topics and making them, again, uh, something that folks can utilize in the field efficiently. Looks like John found the practice to research to practice uh, one of the one of the figures from that uh, yep. on your website there. I wonder if maybe you could comment real quick on this. Basically, yeah, well, it takes what we talked about and puts it into a, a nice graphic, right, John? Yeah, that's exactly right. So that 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 is exactly what was in my mind when I was trying to explain what uh, define the science uh, is. It, mm -hmm. It's starts there at the top with the practitioner and ends there at the top with the practitioner and is this continuous improvement loop to improve our effectiveness on the shop floor. I like that it's a circle and not a pyramid. Larry? <laughs> I, I, I got nothing further to add. I think we need to trademark it, though. I don't want anyone to steal it. <laughs> <laughs> well gentlemen i want to thank you both for joining us today very interesting uh you know and, and uh john uh, always great to have someone with your uh background on and you know talk about things around the world sometimes we get a little you know uh america centric here on the show and it's nice to talk a little bit about things going on around the world so i want to thank you both for joining us uh thank my co-host the z-man cliff slotnik john we, we, you gotta we, have faith oh by the way um there was a real nice chat here. We're going to put that in the Afterthoughts forum. So it's uh, afterthoughts.iaqradio.com. And uh, if you can join us there, we'll have further discussion on the topic in the Afterthoughts forum. I want to thank John Mulholson and Larry Sloan for joining us this week. We'll be back next Friday for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying thanks for listening.